to see it. It's okay. Well, good morning. Great to be back from uh, the frozen north to this beautiful place, Boulevard Bible Chapel. Wow, what a privilege to be here this morning. Great group and uh, wonderful to see all the kids. And the great thing, you know, when I come and go, I seem to appear in the winter, but you know one thing, the power of the Lord is always here. I heard a little story the other week about a little guy like these little guys coming out of Sunday school, trusted the Lord Jesus, wonderful little Christian boy, just a youngster, and uh, the village atheist, when he came out, he said, Hey, son, come here, I'll give you a dollar if you can tell me where God is. Thought he'd catch the little guy out. Little guy looked at his daughter and said, Mister, I'll give you five dollars if you can tell me where God ain't. Because <laughs> he knew that God was everywhere. And that's a great thing. Whether I'm here or not, the Lord's with you. But it's good and uh, glad to be back. And today we're going to start a series of four studies because there are four chapters in the book of Philippians. Now, unfortunately, it works out that I'm here to, this morning and tonight and I have two weeks, I'm on a place, then I'm back. So you've got to wait till Feb 19th for chapters 3 and 4. So that will stretch your memories because there might be a quiz in three weeks on chapters 1 and 2 that we're doing today. So you have to be ready. I'm a retired professor, so I love quizzes. So you better pay attention this morning and tonight and remember it for three weeks. But here we are. Focusing our lives, we are going to look at chapter 1. Uh, this book, of course, answers a question everybody's asking. And I'll quote the verses as we go through, so I won't read the chapter now, but good idea to have your Bible open in Philippians 1. But people are asking, how can I live joyfully? Well, listen, Philippians is the letter of Paul with the answer. You Bible students know, of course, what the theme of Philippians is. In a day when people try so desperately to find happiness, we need to relook at, 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 at this key letter in the New Testament whose theme is joy. You know, I like to count words sometimes in the Bible uh, just to get the overall theme. And as far as I can see, the word joy is used 19 times in, in the book of Philippians. A real theme... Now, you need to remember, of course, the situation Paul was in when he's writing this letter. You, sometimes we forget the conditions. Paul is in a very difficult prison situation in Rome. It's not the last imprisonment. The last one is Second Timothy, when he knew he was going to be executed. By the way, in Second Timothy, he also talks about joy. <laughs> I mean, fantastic. The, but, but Paul in prison in difficult circumstances, spells out the secret of finding profound joy. And, and joy is, is not like happiness that's so dependent on circumstances. He's talking about something that's independent of circumstances because actually it doesn't depend on anything outside of, of us. Paul was in very difficult circumstances uh, on the outside, but it's something Christ does within us. We need to get that. You see, Paul, in every circumstance, was focused... Well, he was focused always on the main aim of his life, uh, so that other matters, things around him, didn't bother him so much like they might have bothered others. And as I said, even in his very last letter, when he knew he was going to be executed, he said, even just seeing Timothy, 
would fill me with joy. Now, one of the reasons that Paul could be joyous in all circumstances, he knew what he was aiming at in life, and that's very important, you know. It's no use trying to play this game without knowing where the target is. And, and, and it's, important, it's a prerequisite. If you're going to achieve anything worthwhile in life and know any measure of joy, that, that you know what you're aiming at. Uh, I thought that maybe some brother might fall asleep this morning. It wouldn't be Malcolm, maybe this brother, so I was ready. <laughs> I'm sorry, sister, but I got a piece of paper. Now, no, did I hit my target? Well, you'd only know that if you knew what I was aiming at. I missed it because I was after this brother on the end. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but the point is, you get the point. You can't know whether you've hit your target unless you know what you're aiming at. And that's true in all of life. Whether you're organizing your finances or planning your, your, your garden, there are, there are planners, landscape planners, financial planners, all standing ready to help us plan because they know you've got to know what you're aiming at. Uh, these days there's little money around to plan your finances, but you know, I know people, they record every dollar they spend they even save every leftover banana skin for the most pile, and yet somehow they let life and time ebb away unplanned and unaccounted for. They don't keep track of where their life is going. A bit like my friend Ziggy here, he said, uh, Ziggy says, well, I just made it through another day without having the slightest idea what I was doing. <laughs> I mean, they go through life like that. It's incredible. Now, this book is fantastic because Philippians 1 answers some very basic questions about our Christian life plan. And the first chapter helps us a great deal when it comes to this business of focusing our lives. And the way we're going to structure the chapter is we're going to see at the beginning of the chapter that we can have confidence as we do our focusing and planning because we can see his purpose, God's purpose. That was Paul's secret. Uh, and, and of course, with that kind of confidence, we can behave in a certain way. And I want to talk not only about our confidence, but our conduct, about setting our priorities. And finally, of course, it all boils down to our commitment. And we want to talk about really our commitment in Christ to be satisfied in this person. So those are little headings that will help your quiz day. What we're talking about today is, first of all, our confidence that we see his purpose. And I say that because look how verse 6 gets going in this chapter. Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, Being confident of this, that he, the Lord, who began a good work in you, notice it's something internal, will carry it on to completion. So Paul's confidence... That's the basis of Paul's confidence. And of course, confidence and diligence are important in successfully executing any plan. You can't execute something if, if, you, if, you, if you're dealing and wondering whether you can do it. It's like the, the other famous cartoon we have in Canada is this guy, Norman Drabble, who d doesn't particularly do well in life, but he says, I try and I fail. He said, I try and I fail. It's the story of my life. He says, I try and fail. He's got a very helpful dad. He says, don't be so hard on yourself, Norm. Sometimes you fail without even trying. <laughs> you know, Paul was the kind of guy who had confidence. 
And there's no question about the basis of Paul's confidence in the success of his life because it was a confidence in God's purpose. And that's why verse 6 is so very important. is being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Notice what's uh, bolded there. Because our degree of confidence as believers always depends on the fact that we're in the Lord's hands. It's whose hands we're in that helps us in our difficulties. Some of you know a bit of my history and one of the uh, traumatic moments in my life is when I needed a quintropital bypass. I needed that uh, fairly urgently and I went to Toronto on a, a big hospitals and I went and I wanted to say, well, if I need bypass, I want to know who's doing the surgery. I didn't want one of these guys that was cutting me open for the first time in his life. <laughs> because the track record of the surgeon was a key issue. I knew I was going to be on this table sliced open, and I didn't want this guy coming around afterwards with some kind of piping outside saying, you've had a triple bypass. <laughs> I wanted a proper job doing. Now, I'm telling you this because what's important is, of course, whose hands we're in. And uh, Paul, I want you to notice this. You see, when it comes to confidence, Paul said in verse 6, notice whose work it is. We sometimes forget this. The New Living Translation of verse 6 is lovely. It says, I'm certain of God. I'm certain of God who began the good work within you will continue his work within you until it's finally finished. Sometimes we're struggling so much thinking it's our job. It's like that with salvation. Some people think they're going get, to get to heaven somehow by their own efforts. Hey, you know that we're saved by God's grace. That's why Jesus died. We, we so often focus on our efforts. And, and, and I've got to tell you, it's, it's the Lord that's doing the job. You know, sometimes even a committed and competent surgeon is powerless to prevent a tragic outcome. In fact, when I had my bypass, my friend who had it a few weeks before me was going to be my monitor to see how long it took you to recover, and he never made it out of the hospital. It's a good job I was trusting the Lord rather than the surgeon, because that can happen. But you see, I'm talking now about a God who's omnipotent, and he alone is always able to finish what he starts. And he is alone, the one who never gives up. That's what omnipotence means. And, and, and we can be confident in reaching our goal as Christians if we realize that, that Jesus never fails. And it's his task. So often we forget that as we struggle through life. And this confidence isn't the kind of false Self-confidence, you know, these days you have all these positive thinking seminars, if you believe it, it can happen. There's a kind of self-delusional style of confidence. It calls failure success, you know, if you call it that, maybe it will be like that. There are these best-selling books out there in, in Barnes and & Noble and all these bookstores like The Secret that say you only have to think about it and you'll be successful. Now, there's no basis for that kind of confidence. That, that's calling failure success. It's like this guy who comes home with his school report and says to his dad, F means fantastic. <laughs> Forget the failure. But it's calling failure success. What I'm talking about this morning is the fact that the Lord is the one who 
is the basis of our confidence, and it says he will carry it on to completion. See, Paul's confidence, and ours can be, was based on what God had done, what God had promised he would do, and as Christians, our confidence is real because it's in God, a God who's committed himself to finish what he started, a God whose work must succeed. And we need to get that. You know, about the Lord Jesus who died for us, I love to read these verses like, like Luke nine fifty one, who said, as he faced the cross, he set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. And you know that, that what our Lord did was a finished work. Hebrews 12, 2, one of the wonderful verses, calls the Lord Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Sometimes we, we forget it's all the Lord's work. You know, I spoke to a chap recently and, and um, I said, you know, who killed Christ? There's all this debate about culpability. And he said, well, by the Roman soldiers. What killed Christ is his love for us, his determination to finish the work. His death was caused because he was willing to finish the job to bring our salvation about and our confidence is real because it's based on his finished work, on his cross. The one who cried, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, God's faithfulness and God's capability are absolutely beyond question. And we need to get that it is finished phrase in our mind and in our lives, focus more on his finished work than our faltering walk. If you're a Christian, and today you're doubting your ability to serve God effectively, it's really a lack of confidence in God. It's God that gives us the gifts. Uh, and, and you know, you, you, if you're lacking confidence in your ability to serve God, you're implying that he'll do a poor job in carrying out his commitment to complete the work that he started in you. And, and notice that the confidence Paul speaks of, it, it's not in the present status of the Philippians, like us. They were not in great, well, they were in pretty good shape compared with many uh, local churches. But what Paul had confidence in wasn't their present state, but in the outcome. And sometimes we get discouraged because, well, we focus on the beginning rather than the end of the story. All beginnings are incomplete. They're often difficult because what God does, you've been, uh, apparently, I was just hearing you were studying the fall last week and recently, that God takes a fallen sinful person, someone so unlike Christ, and he begins a process of transformation, making us like Christ, now, it's very unreasonable to uh, ask God to begin his building by just the finishing touches, decorating the house. If you build a house, you don't start decorating up. You've got to build it. And, and God's at the stage, for, and many of us are building the foundation. That's a tough job. He must first build the foundation. Uh, and we need to encourage ourselves by realizing, of course, just how much God has to do. Because in order to complete his work, he, we have to recognize he has to do the best he can with what we give him. 
And once we understand the limitations of the starting material and understand our own weakness, perhaps we'll be less prone to get discouraged because things right now may be less than perfect. In fact, God's work takes time. And sometimes, you know, we want some kind of instant spiritual maturity. It's like this guy, is <laughs> he's got the... The, the, the lose that guts and he's got the whole time master bit and everything else and his wife says he's getting ready for his high school reunion tomorrow <laughs> it's not going to happen overnight I've been trying to lose a bit of weight but it's a slow job I tell you you see we have a tendency even in our spiritual lives to, like this guy maybe to focus on appearance rather than substance and, and some people uh all they really work on is, is something that's a quick fix. Maybe they work on their self-image, everything that gives the appearance of success. But what we're talking about today is, is the substance, uh, what it really means to grow, to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what Paul prayed for in this chapter, in verse 9 in particular, was a process that takes time. He wasn't talking about some quick microwave, instant meal approach to spiritual life. What he said in verse 9 is, This is my prayer. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in what? Knowledge and depth of insight. Ah, oh, knowledge and depth of insight. You see, you can't abound in knowledge and depth of insight overnight. You don't get depth of insight the minute you convert it. And notice particularly that Paul links love and knowledge together. And Paul prays that their love will abound. How would love abound? Well, in depth of insight. So it's clearly expecting that, that, that what he's praying for is that they would excel in the life of the mind. They would begin to understand things, but he linked this with love. Reminding us that... that there's more than spiritual academics involved. Maturing in Christ and, and focusing your life isn't, isn't just having a head knowledge of Scripture. See, what depth of insight means in verse 10 is discernment. It's, it's knowledge, knowledge that moves from the mind right down to the heart. And it involves a practical application of biblical knowledge to all of life's circumstances. When you read the Bible, it, it's to apply it to what you're doing every day. And a balanced Christian develops their mind through the serious study of Scripture, not just a casual read every morning, but a serious look at the Scriptures. And then he looks to see that knowledge show itself, show itself in joyful, loving, everyday life. So that, that we try to be like verse 10. Verse 10 says, able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless make judgments on what is best in different situations and live a, a blameless and pure life. That's what it's about. And when verse 6 and 10 talk about completing or perfecting God's work, they're using a word in verse 6 and 10 that, determines a pre, uh, that suggests a predetermined end. Carried on, it says, to completion until the day of Christ. So it's an ongoing process. The day of Christ. You know, you couldn't possibly plan anything today. Whatever you're planning to do today, you couldn't plan anything that would stop it being Monday tomorrow. 
It'll still be Monday tomorrow, whatever you plan today. And the day of Christ, won't go into all the implications of that, but the day of Christ is more certain than the next day of the week. And there's nothing between what you are now and what God plans to make you then but a time interval in between. There's nothing, the only thing between now and your imperfect specimen, of course, and then is the time interval. Of course, we get very impatient. We're a bit like Ziggy here. Ziggy says, every now and then, I wish it was then instead of now. <laughs> I feel like that sometimes. Oh, I wish it was then and not now. But you see, there is a day set aside when God will glorify us in his son Jesus. Is this noise bothering people? It's not really bothering me, but I, is there anything I can do? No? Maybe. All right. Don't worry about it then. <laughs> uh, there is a day set aside, but we'll not be what we're going to become until that moment when the Lord appears. And, and we have to understand this is a process. Colossians 3, 4 is a lovely verse. It said, when Christ, who is your life, that's what life really is, appears, ah, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's the then moment that we're looking for. So don't allow your impatience with your present imperfections to interfere with your confidence that what God will accomplish in you will be completed. Because, you see, the real goal that we want to achieve is it, not our goal, it's his goal. And one thing, you know, I think of Paul in prison a lot because one thing Paul's present situation impresses on us is, is what I've said already, that external circumstances don't need to interfere with our confidence in God's plans. In fact, Paul said in verse 12, he said, what, I want you to know that what's happened to me, that's being imprisoned and all those nasty things, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's an astounding verse. You know, we see what happens to us usually as a problem rather than an opportunity. If it's something negative that happens, Vivian knows when things happen and I go, oh, I'm moaning and groaning about what's happened. But you see, I have to realize, and we have to all realize, it's not the troubles of life that are the problem. We will get troubles. The Lord never said Christians will be exempt from trouble. What's the problem is our response to them. I mean, being in prison could have caused Paul to be bitter and disillusioned. But Paul responded to prison as an opportunity to, to spread the message about Christ. Paul recognized that his difficult circumstances, they weren't as important as what he did with them. And so what did he do? He turned a bad situation into a good one by reaching out to those Roman soldiers. He was chained to some of them. They knew he was in chain for Christ. And he used it for that purpose. He also used it to encourage Christians who were afraid of persecution. Because Paul realized that a sovereign God is not hindered by prison walls in accomplishing his purpose. Nothing alters God's purpose. So we've got to get like Paul and, and, and view our circumstances as opportunities rather than obstacles. 
I love verse 12 and 13. He says, What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I'm in chains for Christ. What a testimony. You see, Paul realized, and we need to realize it too, that nothing happens through us. We'd love God to do stuff through us, but nothing happens through us if nothing happens in us. I don't know whether you know what an oxymoron is. Oxymoron is a funny, funny phrase, but an oxymoron is when you put two words that don't seem to fit together. Things like a deafening silence. A deafening silence is an oxymoron. A bold retreat. I mean, Hey, what about this? A short sermon. Doesn't seem to fit together. A short sermon is an oxymoron, especially when you've got preachers like me. <laughs> but you see, what, when you put joy and trial together, I mean, great joy and great trial, it, it seems like an oxymoron. That's what it sounds like. Uh, because joy, surely, is found in good things, not in difficult times. But in this letter, Paul changes our view by showing joy is independent of circumstances. He shows that it can be present in difficult and painful times. You see, because what happens to us is where, where we put our focus instead of what happens in us. Hey, what happens to us may not be prison. Could be these days. You never know. I could be in prison for refusing to marry a, a gay couple. I things are changing in this world. Who knows? I can't say I'll never be, be challenged and arrested as a Christian. But it could be times of just loneliness or conflict or sickness or unemployment or financial difficulties. All, all those problems. But they're opportunities to demonstrate the reality of our faith in God's good purpose. Because real joy is rooted in the end in the assurance of our salvation that we have a relationship with God, uh, a God who's made incredible promises, a God who has great plans for us, and that's something no circumstance could possibly affect. So whatever happens in a given situation, it can be counted a blessing if our faith and our closeness to the Lord grows through it. And I've got to tell you, I've not had a lot of problems in my life, but the few that I've had, surgery and financial, different things have come over the many, many years I've lived now. The ble blessing I've found is they can draw you closer to the Lord. You see, our problem is sometimes what we do is look at the trial independent of all the other circumstances. And we don't prayerfully put it all together and think, hey, God's big picture is still working out. And we look at this little trial and that little trial. You know, one of the things I have to tell you, uh, I have a bit of a weakness for chocolate cake, but my wife now has this uh, celiac disease. She has to have gluten-free food. And I look back to the old days when Viv got all this stuff on the counter, flour and chocolate and eggs and, and butter, and she made these lovely cakes. She doesn't do that very often because I'm the only one to eat them, and she won't let me eat the whole thing anyway because... <laughs> the cholesterol. But I used to, when she baked that, I used to go by and uh, nick a little bit of the ingredients. And I've I got to tell you, some of those things taste terrible. I mean, raw cocoa and flour and things, and, and raw eggs and the salt. I'd say, these are awful. But I tell you, 
when they were all made together and they could be appreciated in a different way. And I said, I can't believe all that stuff that tasted terrible and so gorgeous. This chocolate came in. <laughs> Just notice how good it is, women. <laughs> Why am I telling you? It's, it's, oh, we're getting the, the rocky. What, what's up with this thing? All right, if it happens again, we'll switch to the other one. It's, all right. Hey, can we switch to the other mic? This, this is going to upset them. They're not paying attention to the word of God anymore. They're listening to the... They think the wasps are coming. That's right. This new technology is all right. I don't want to block my face, but you probably glass. <laughs> but you see, let you get. I want you to get this. It's the same with the unpalatable circumstances of life. Maybe you can't explain Maybe things aren't going as you expected. But, but what Scripture promises, they work together so that like that delicious cooked cake, it, it comes out transformed. And that's what's going to happen. You know, I love Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to those that love God. It's not an unlimited, but it's those that love God. And as you react positively to the circumstances of life, you can have great impact on people. I'm sure you've all heard of Johnny Erickson. What happened to her was a tragic accident, so she became paralyzed. Many of you know that story. But it became a great blessing to untold millions as she used that unwelcome event of paralysis to write about how the Lord was working in her heart and life. And as we see God at work in our trials, we can grow in our confidence in His purpose. So this is taking a long time, but I want you to have confidence, whatever your circumstances, in his purpose and his finished work. Uh, and that's the great foundation. If you're confident, then you're ready to trust God's purpose in your life, and, and that will change the way you behave. And uh, quickly now, I want to move on to this business of our setting our priorities and our conduct, because there's a great deal in this chapter about the importance and this is really important, pay attention to this, distinguishing between what really matters in life from the trivial. Seeing the difference between important things and things of little consequence. So Paul says, verse 10, again I like the New Living Translation, for what I want you to understand, what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. He wants us to understand what really matters. And verse 15, you know, verse 15 brings up the sad story of people who actually tried to capitalize on Paul's imprisonment and they set themselves out to preach Christ with a desire to gaining honor for themselves. But Paul's priorities were so firmly fixed on, on the preaching of the gospel that his reaction to this competitive spirit and these people who were preaching from the wrong motive were simply to rejoice that Christ was being preached, of all, uh, preached at all. And he had this great ability to rejoice in the service of others even though it didn't measure up to the best standards. I hope you've got an ability to rejoice in the work of others. It's an excellent indicator of where your focus is. If it's on the work of God or on yourself. Verse 18 is so important. Paul says, look, about these people who were 
trying to take over his job and all that. He says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way Christ is preached. And it's so vital in any given situation we always ask, what's the important thing? And for Paul, the important thing was the gospel. And Paul's priorities were such that he knew what was worth making a fuss about. And he could focus on the essentials and ignore the incidentals. And since his priority was Christ, he never allowed personal interest to cloud his judgment or cause him to condemn other brethren, even those who wanted to add to his afflictions. Paul knew the difference between an incidental and a high-priority matter. Uh, you know, it's tragic, as I travel around to, to hear Christians squabbling about all kinds of incidentals. We saw a great blessing in our assembly recently. We had eight people baptized. And, and before that, a couple I'd worked with 30 years ago. Dysfunctional family. I didn't even know they weren't married. <laughs> and they had kids. They'd been living together for years. They came back to the assembly, accepted the Lord through our Christianity Explored program. First thing they came to me and said, we want to get married. I said, I didn't know you weren't married. Oh, yeah. They sat down, and I got five minutes into the counseling, because after 30 years I wasn't telling them to get to know each other like I usually do. But, but uh, five minutes, he said, I want to be baptized. I said, well, that's fantastic. You know, I went to the brethren and said, this is great. Fred and Nancy want to get baptized. They want to get married. They want to get baptized Easter Sunday because that's the Sunday I'll be home and they wanted me there. And the brethren started this huge, long squabble about whether you could baptize them before they were married. And it all became a, a huge disunity. But I, I can't believe what began to... I saw a spiritual warfare. The happy ending is we got them married one Saturday and baptized the following Sunday and it all worked out. But man, did we begin to squabble. You can't imagine. And I thought, man, we must never let the debatable be divisive. If, if our priorities are the glory of Christ, the only strategy we'd ever use it is the strategy of a servant and we'll take verse 27 to heart, striving together as one what? For the faith of the gospel. Oh, what a summary is, is. I love verse 27. It says, the Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. If you want to do any fighting, it says, Fighting together for the faith that's the good news. Fantastic. You can't miss this. It's tragic to see Christians fighting with each other instead of fighting together. Because spiritual warfare is a real thing. And we've got to strive together, get our hands together as one for the faith of the gospel. The devil's current strategy, I think, is to keep us debating. I know churches have spent all the time debating some details of prophecy and they're not winning at all. I know places where they seem consumed about the date of creation. Now, these are interesting questions. You do need to understand about the date of creation and, and the details of prophecy. I know a church, that's, all they talk about is music, whether they could have a, you know, a guitar or something. Now, it's important to, to be sure, whether it's the timing of baptism or any of these things, but the challenge is to make sure that we have our priorities right. And Paul's saying is, put the gospel first, that's number one. 
Don't forget your priorities. And, and the challenge today for you is, do you play your part in fighting the ongoing battle for the truth of the gospel? Where are your priorities? It is a battle. We live in a, in a secular world. The gospel's disparaged. And we need... Uh, let me just pause for a moment before I put that slide on. I forgot it was there. And we need, especially you older men and women, to pass on the baton of the gospel. You know, the church is one generation from extinction. That's been true since Pentecost. I want to show you this little movie clip here. Just, a, it's, a, it's a relay race. Just to remind you of this. Look at this. He's passing on the baton. And that's an important stage in a relay race. And, man, they drop it. It's lost. And that's happening. Sometimes the next generation needs to understand the gospel. Don't drop the ball. All is lost. The prayer to the gospel should be the center of our prayer life, our actions, and our aspirations. It's what ties believers of different styles and stripes together. So let's be concerned about our conduct and set our priorities on the passing of the gospel to the next generation. Now I need to conclude, but I have to conclude not just talking about our conduct, but our fundamental commitment. The bottom line, let's go to Paul's mission statement. What's the key to all this chapter? Philippians 1.21 To live, said Paul, is Christ. To live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, achieving great goals, being enormously successful in earthly terms won't happen to many of us. Maybe some of you will get a Nobel Prize. Who knows who's here today? But hey, it's not an option for everyone. But one all-important goal is possible for everyone, and that is you can have fellowship with God and you can have intimacy with Christ. The other word that Paul talks about, join 19 times, but he mentions Christ, talks about Christ 17 times in this chapter. And he always brings things back to the person of Christ. And the key need in our Christian life is always to examine to what extent the Lord himself is our goal. You see, you can be very active in a church. You can be committed to all kinds of service. You could be following ideals. You can focus on truths. You can be planning schemes. You can be people of principle. You can work hard and yet not fully committed to the person of the Lord Jesus. But I had a problem um, about two years ago. I came down to my study in the basement and I looked at my computer and I saw two icons where there was supposed to be one. I thought, man, what's going on? I looked at my hand and I had ten fingers on one hand. And I suddenly felt like a double vision. Man, I thought, this is it. <laughs> my stroke's gone. It turned out to be some TIA that passed away in minutes. Uh, they did check me all out and said, can't explain it, you're in great shape. But i got to tell you, double vision's a problem. Oh, man. I was saying, God, double vision's a problem. We've got to have single vision on Jesus. You know, I've shown you this before, I think, but I'd love to share this with people. I have this in my office, William put it up. God put me on earth to accomplish a certain number of things. Right now, I'm so far behind, I'll never die. And she's putting that up to remind me I had a lot of stuff to do. 
but it's not true that capture is not true he made you not just to do things but to become something not just to do some things but to be something and the call of this chapter is totally different from worldly wisdom worldly wisdoms to say hey you become someone you do stuff you achieve but what Paul's teaching us here is godly wisdom is to be something by developing relationships and we need to understand that we need to focus on outcomes because all those activities doing things for him important though they are they're secondary what the Lord looks for number one is a worshipping relationship with him and it's so important you know there's uh, my friend Charlie Brown I don't know what you know his father was a barber and he used to go every night and sit and wait while his his father's barber's shop closed and he said I sit on this bench until 6 o'clock and when my dad's through we just ride home together and he says it really doesn't take much to make a dad happy I looked at that and I thought you know we think how are we going to please the Lord man we haven't achieved much we haven't done this we achieved it doesn't take much it's to sit there with him Maybe sit and go home with him. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord move to and throughout the earth. What is he looking for? That he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. There's no mystery about what the Lord's looking for. Uh, And I've got to tell you, if you miss your time with the Lord, it, it should affect you worse than missing your lunch. I mean, if I get low blood sugar, sugar, vivid, and tell you how grumpy I get. But man, missing your time with the Lord, we should notice that. You, and the challenge I want to give you as we finish this morning, and we have to finish now, but how much time do you spend not just reading the Bible, I'm talking not just working for the Lord, but responding to and appreciating the Lord. Because that's how you can live joyfully. There's no secret, that is. Happy face, and that's what we want. We can live confidently if we trust His purpose. We can conduct our lives to please Him if what? We give priority to the gospel. And at the bottom line is to commit yourself to the Lord, finding your real satisfaction in nothing else but Christ. And then you will, there isn't time to sing it now, but you will be able to sing that song that maybe we messed it up on the rounds, brother, but it was a great song. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let's just pause quietly and think about that. Think about our lives. And then we'll have a little benedictory prayer. So, Father, may your blessing be with us. Renew our confidence in your purpose. Help us to really assess our priorities and look at the place we're giving to the gospel in our lives. And, Father... May we be committed to our Lord Jesus who did so much to bring us life. And we ask in his precious name for your help in living joyfully. Amen. Tonight, chapter 2, great chapter, classic chapter. Try to be with us. 
as we go through that. And God bless you as you go.